the Destiny Church 217 podcast. The message you're about to hear was recorded at the church conference hosted by Fivefold International. The focus of the church conference is to address the Capital C Church as a whole. This series of messages will provide insight and tools to equip the local church. In this podcast, we hear from Dr. David Nichols, who is a board member of Fivefold International. Let's get into the message. Let's get her going here. Two kinds of globalism. There is going to be a globalism. It's going to happen. Can anybody say amen to that? The problem is there are two kinds. And I want to talk to you about that. Each one of these slides this morning could be a message in itself. And uh, so that's dangerous, so I'm, I'm going to do my best to get done here by 10. So here we go. Let's get right on it with the first one here. Let's turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 2, the second psalm. Let's just read through it. This psalm has been rocking my world these last several months. <clears throat> Turn to your neighbor and tell them the speaker's world has been rocked. Go ahead, tell them. All right. By the word of God, amen? Verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, it says in the old King James, New King James against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here we go. First kind of globalism we're going to look at this morning is man's way. Man has been interested in globalism for a very long time. And as we read in our verses here, the globalism of man, most of the time, when we see it, it is turned against Christ. And uh, Pastor Eric, I'm setting it, setting up for next month when, when we come and we're going we're gonna to do a thing on Antichrist. The last Sunday of August, uh, Eric and I are going to do it right, right here on this very platform. It's going to be amazing. And... Uh, probably more about Antichrist than you wanted to learn, but you should come anyway, okay? (laughs) Oh, man, but Antichrist is against Christ. And here's the problem with human globalism. It sets out with grand and, and glorious intentions, and it claims that it will solve the problems of mankind and it finds itself almost every time arrayed against the Lord and against his Christ. First case of it is in the book of Genesis chapter 11. Everyone scream, let's go to the beginning, doctor. All right, here's the beginning of globalism. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, the whole earth had one language and one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain 
in the land of Shinar, and there they dwelt. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, they had asphalt for mortar, and they said, Come, let us build a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Remember, the Lord's command back from earlier chapters was to disperse over the whole earth, take dominion, and subdue it. Instead of doing that, they had the mind and will to gather together and create a center of power from which they thought they could have their globalism uh, administrated and so forth. There, there was a, implicit in these words is a promise for unlimited spiritual power from a place other than God. Tell your neighbor, that's not good. <laughs> and so God comes down and you know the story of the Tower of Babel. He disperses them by giving everybody a separate language and they have to then obey him because they can't understand one another and they have to obey and go out uh, dispersed across the earth. God said, worship me only. They built a tower for forced access. It didn't work. So next slide, please. <clears throat> Globalism, man's way. Here's my question to you today. Are there kings of the earth today? Kings in quotes. In our present world, I'm going to suggest three here today. We're going to name names and go for it here today, all right? Anybody here ever hear of the World Economic Forum? <laughs> Anybody here a big fan of the World Economic Forum? No hands here. No hand was, oh, there's one in the back. Okay. <laughs> he misunderstood. The question. All right. Thank you. Right. Here are some people who have associated themselves with the World Economic Forum. I would suggest that these are quote-unquote kings in our world today because they're leading uh, in many ways a thought process and really a worldview and a humanistic globalism that is going in a direction. So we have Yuval Harari. He's the science guy of the World Economic Forum. Here's a quote from him. Man is a hackable animal. Ooh, really? I was reading in my Bible the other day and those words of Yuval uh, kind of grated me a little bit. And I went over to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27. Let's just read 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man is not an animal. As Pastor Eric so wonderfully preached last night, it was a metaphor, okay? Dogs, puppies, all right? Yes, lost puppies. It's a metaphor. We are created in the image of God. Look at your neighbor right now and tell him, I am in the image of God. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> So there you have it. That part of it's not going to work. Then we have Klaus Schwab. He's really the leader of this group. Klaus made an amazing statement last spring, a few months ago. Klaus wanted to prophesy our future to us in globalism man's way. You will own nothing, but you will be happy. Hmm, really? How about 2 Corinthians chapter 9? I was doing a little reading there the other day. Let's look at verse 8. Klaus says, you'll own nothing, but you'll be happy. Does anybody hear an echo kind of behind Klaus there? of another fellow that wrote a work called The Communist Manifesto. Ah, uh, yeah. 
abolition of private property. Yeah, another uh, quite notable anti-Christ, Karl Marx. But uh, in verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency, sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. You know, maybe according to God, you're supposed to have abundance in your finances and in your possessions so that you can be doing good with it. Huh. Verse 10, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. That doesn't sound like owning nothing. So owning nothing is arrayed against the purpose of God, just like Psalm 2 said, right? Well, then we have Mr. William Gates. He likes to hang out at the World Economic Forum. Here's a little quote from Bill. There are too many people in the world. Let's just do a big boo to that, okay? Boo! Um, once again, back to Genesis chapter 1. What did God say? What does his word say? Too many people in the world, Bill says, God said... Then God blessed, the word says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea. And uh, for me, that's walleyes. For Eric, that's bass. It's kind of different for different people. <sighs> over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Wow. You see, there really aren't too many people in the world. Now, I know I've quoted this here before, but I have to do it again here. If we took the population of the world at 8 billion people, you know the 8 billionth one, was a little boy was born in Dominican Republic back a couple months ago. He was the 8, they say, he was the 8 billionth person, right? So we're a little over 8 billion if we took everybody and we gave everybody a three-foot circle to stand in and we gathered everyone together in one place at one time, how much land area would that cover on the earth? Say maybe like a medium-sized country, like uh, what, Mexico? Way too big. Maybe a state. Maybe, uh, you know, like a medium-sized state, like Illinois. <laughs> Way too big. The population of the, we have, by the way, we have 78 counties in the state of Minnesota. We have two large ones up in the north. And we wouldn't need them both. The population of the earth would fit either in St. Louis County or Lake County in northern Minnesota. And if you don't believe me, do the math yourself. Three-foot circle, everyone standing in it. We'd have land left over in both of those counties, each, whichever one you choose. Now, these people that say there are too many people in the earth, I've been out there just recently. I would challenge them to drive on I-94 through North Dakota. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or South Dakota, or Nebraska, or Montana, a whole bunch of places, you know. There are not too many people. We need more people. And on this business of being fruitful and multiplying, Sherry and I have taken this very seriously. We now have, we announced to you today, it's the first crowd we've ever announced this to, we now have 23 grandchildren. Woohoo! <laughs> Hallelujah! Yes. So anyway, these kings are opposed, and uh, the word of God opposes them. So let's continue on. Next slide, please. Is there a judgment of human globalism? I'm glad to pronounce to you today that there is in the book of Daniel. 
Wonderful little book there in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 2. If you want to understand the collision between human globalism and God's globalism, Daniel is your book, okay? It really is. And to just jump right into it in, in chapter 2, as Daniel is giving the interpretation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, remember he's seen this statue, head of gold, uh, arms and chest of silver, uh, thighs of bronze, feet of uh, clay, iron and iron mixed with clay, representing the kingdoms of the earth, starting with Nebuchadnezzar and going on forward, uh, culminating in Rome. So, and, and remember, this is this is hundreds of years before the Roman Empire really existed as a world power. So it's definitely prophecy. But here's what Daniel says. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Hallelujah. So for all the globalism that mankind has wanted to bring forward, and you can go all the way back to Egypt. You can go to Assyria, even before Babylon. Then you come to Babylon and this statue and this prophecy carrying you right down to Rome. And the prophecy is that God's globalism is going to overtake it and be much better. Hallelujah. Look at verse 45. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands... And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will, pass, will come to pass after this. The dream is certain. Its interpretation is sure. How many of you here today know who that stone is? <laughs> come on, tell me. Who's the stone? Jesus is the stone. Amen. Now, that's, that's a mighty prophecy. But in the book of Daniel, we get an actual visual, practical outworking of this that I really love over in chapter 3. You remember that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he is the global deal at, at this time. In the early uh, 6th century B.C., that he's the guy ruling what is known of the world. And so... Even though he has this great revelation right from God, in, uh, given and interpreted by Daniel, in the next chapter, he creates his own statue. He's one of these kings of the earth. He had revelation from God and how God wanted it to be. He says, I'm going to have my own statue. Instead of me just being the head of gold, the whole statue's going to be gold. And a whole empire, every leader of every rank, every magistrate's going to come in here and they're going to worship and bow before my statue. My friends, that is the goal and intention of every tyrant, every global empire, everyone that has ever been, every version of man's globalism. It is. It's just here you get to see it very plainly and clearly. And you know the story. You got three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who will not bow. And they're brought in before the king. They're given another chance. And let's read it in... Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, I'm going to give you another chance. We're going to throw you in the furnace if you don't worship. Look at verse 17 in chapter 3. They say, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Hallelujah. The empire that we're serving is greater than your empire, king. <laughs> and this is with Nebuchadnezzar with all his mighty soldiers sitting on his golden throne with all his glory and majesty and these three simple Hebrew boys are saying, sorry buddy, uh, there's something greater here. 
But if not, I love these words, if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. Really, as you read through the book of Daniel, you see Nebuchadnezzar had anger management issues. He, he really did. And the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, that's a very hot furnace. Go, go ahead, tell him. They fell down bound in the midst of the fiery furnace. But then verse 24, remember there was a stone who was going to come and strike the mountain. It already starts in the book of Daniel in, in a, this way. It's going to be a lot greater when Jesus comes. But he, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke. He wasn't angry anymore now. He's saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. By the way, when you're in a palace like that and you're in the presence of a guy like Nebuchadnezzar, when he asks questions, just say, true, O great one. You know, just, just you know, go with the flow or you might lose your head. <clears throat> he said, look, I ans he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Whoa! Jesus stepped into the burning, fiery furnace. The three boys, you keep reading here, you find they have no smell of smoke, no harm, danger, anything on them. Nebuchadnezzar is amazed. But tyranny and human globalism, with all of its glitter and all of its Promise is a hard thing to shake. So you have to go on to Daniel chapter 4. You would think after this, I mean, I would think, you know, dude, you should have got the picture by now. <laughs> chapter 2, the stone is going to come. It's going to level the statue. It's going to become a great mountain and fill the hill. That's one thing. Then in chapter 2, he sees with his own eyes, these three guys get, get out of the furnace, no harm to them. The Son of God was in there himself. But that's not enough for Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 4, uh, you know the story, and we're not going to read it all here this morning. But he literally becomes an animal. I mean literally in, in, in a certain sense. And he crawls around on the ground. This is the leader of the world of that day. And in the books, when you read about this, they call this a disease called monomania. And he thought he was some kind of cow or bull or something like that, ate grass like an ox. It, it tells it all in Daniel chapter 4. But let's just pick up the reading there in verse 28. It's quite an amazing picture. And Eric, it's a wonderful setup for next month when we do Antichrist. <laughs> okay. Um, these tyrants of the earth... What, what, what are they all about? In verse 28 of chapter 4, Daniel, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling? And my mighty power for the honor of my majesty. That sounds like some very extreme pride, doesn't it? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been, it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses." 
There's a human globalism, and then there's God's globalism. And in this present age, they are in quite a conflict with each other. You read on through this chapter, you'll find all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He crawled around on eight grass like an ox. He, he looked like an animal. And for years, centuries actually, liberal Bible scholars mocked this passage. He said, this is ridiculous. This is, a, this is a fiction of the ancient imagination that a, that a king of an empire would crawl around on the ground until 1975. And a piece of pottery with some writing on it in Old Babylonian was found, and they started translating it. And lo and behold, you know what they found on there? a reference to the period of Nebuchadnezzar's sickness. That's what they called it, Nebuchadnezzar's sickness. And they don't, you know, obviously you don't want to say your king went nuts and was crawling around on the crown. You don't put that in the historical record, but Nebuchadnezzar's sickness, there it was, attested for the world to see, founded in 1975. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? The tyrants of human empires are beasts. That's what the book of Revelation calls them. That's what Daniel shows them to be here. And that's the way it is. So, let's shift over to the other form of globalism, God's way, hallelujah. God has a way, amen? We've already seen part of it. But in the back half of Psalm 2, which is where we started today, we read, in fact, let's go back to Psalm 2 for a moment. In verse 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, has always existed in ancient eternity past. But there came a point when he was begotten, that is, he was chosen, he was selected, however you want to say it, uh, to be the one who he is. And I've had another challenge I've been working through in my theology in the last year which might kind of explain to you why I'm preaching a message like this, I came to realize that every time through the whole Old Testament where it says the capital A, angel, of the capital L, Lord, it's talking about a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Now, if you stop and think about that for a moment, uh, he's the guy who rained fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's the guy who went in and killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. And a whole bunch of other things. And that's the being who comes into this world, the Lamb of God. born there in Bethlehem to the virgin. But ages before, the Lord said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth, <clears throat> for your possession. You shall break them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Let's go over to Isaiah chapter 9. Now, I have to warn you, when we start reading these words, a song is going to play in your head. Okay? It's going to kind of go... You don't recognize it yet. Oh, oh. Cheryl's got it. What is it, Cheryl? There you go. There it is. Yeah. Verse 6. 
in chapter 9. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah brought forth these words by the Holy Spirit. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In the midst of the human globalism that was Assyria at that time, ruling the earth, Isaiah makes this proclamation that a child is going to come and all this is going to happen because of him. So let's jump over to the Gospel of Matthew. Next slide, please. Tell your neighbor, I can't believe it's going this fast. The kingdom of heaven. So the child comes. He's the stone that was cut out without hands. He's going to strike the statue and he's going to turn it into powder and he's going to set up a kingdom that's going to rule forever. God is going to have his own globalism. So in Matthew chapter 4, you have Jesus standing in front of the Jewish people. And he says these famous words, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. No one understood what Jesus, really the, the real deep meaning of his words, although some did repent, I'm sure. The kingdom of heaven is at hand? Jesus, you're a stone. You're supposed to be smiting these Gentile powers. Look, now it's the Romans. They're the iron and the iron mixed with clay. Look at this. What's going on? Jesus, you don't look like a king. You look like a carpenter. You still have some sawdust on you from the carpenter shop there. Where are your chariots, Jesus? Where are your soldiers? Where's your palace? Jesus must have been talking about a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom way bigger than Egypt, way bigger than Assyria, way bigger than Babylon. Hallelujah. Way bigger than Alexander the Great. Way bigger than his four successors. Way bigger than Rome. Hallelujah. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven here today. Look at verse 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the glad tidings of the reign of God. And what happened? Caesar fell off of his throne. All the soldiers' weapons fell to the ground. Is that what it says next? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, we're getting ahead of the story here, right? No, he went about all Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What was he doing? Healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. His fame went throughout all Syria. They brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demonized, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And in Luke 4.40, it says he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. There were hundreds and hundreds of people there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does this look like? Next slide, please. Here's what it looks like. This is a little shot from India. This boy that you see there was born without sinews or tendons in his legs. He's five years old in this picture. His, his mother said in the testimony, for his whole life, I never had to wonder where he was. Wherever I sat him down, that's where he would be when I came back to get him. No sinews, no tendons in his legs. 
She said, I was here, I was in the healing ministry, and in our crusades over there, we always proclaim healing over the whole crowd. We, we just speak it forth. She said, the presence of God came over. I raised my hands. I was worshiping Jesus. She said, and I felt something against my leg. It was my boy standing up for the first time at the age of five. We walked him all around that platform, and I want to tell you something, folks. It was real easy to preach after that testimony that night. Hallelujah. Everybody scream out loud, give us more, doctor. Next slide, please. What does this look like? The lady in Burundi, look at this dear lady, was brought to our festival, our crusade. She was hanging around in the back. The healing proclamation went forth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means it's right in front of you where you can see it, where you can personally participate in it, amen? This woman had malaria, she was deaf, and she had a broken arm. Now, with malaria, you know, you can just pray for somebody and say, bless God, trust him, you'll get better. And uh, with deafness, it's a little harder. But with a broken arm, it's either going to happen or it's not. <laughs> okay? See her arm? That's the arm that was broken. She could not raise it. It was fractured through both bones on that arm. And there she's raising it up to put it on top of her head. She was also healed of the malaria and the deafness. Her ears popped open all in moments of time. Give Jesus some praise. Hallelujah. When the kingdom comes, this is what it looks like. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, God has his ways, and we can understand them in part. Let's flip, flip to the next one, please. But we need to get into the mystery of the kingdom if we're going to understand God's globalism. Because God has a globalism that is so awesome and so amazing. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. little term that Jesus throws in here. Mark chapter 4 and verse 11. He said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. You see, God's globalism attacks the biggest problem first. And that's the problem of human sinfulness. And then right around all of that, all that work of the devil in poverty and disease and pain and suffering and all that, all that comes to be addressed as well. And I'm here to announce to you today that because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if we'll press in and enforce this reign of the kingdom that has been released on this earth, we will create an expectancy for the realm that is coming in the name of Jesus. Because that same king... <laughs> that healed that woman in Burundi, that same king that put sinews in that little boy's legs in India, that king is coming. He's coming. How do you kiss the sun? Psalm 2. I think by embracing the mystery of the kingdom. The kingdom is already but not yet. The kingdom is here and yet it's coming. Both of those statements are true. And if you resolve it down to one side or the other, you're going to walk into error. As a reign, the kingdom is the authority of Jesus over everything that plagues mankind. 
sin, disease, sickness, corruption, all of that stuff. All you have to do is kiss the sun. You got to realize that he is the son, has been chosen the son from all eternity past, and here he is, and it's all in him. In the, in the realm, that's the reign, in the realm, Jesus is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. On this earth, in a, in a body you can see, and here's the really good news, you and I are going to rule with him. Why in the world would a beautiful group of people like you guys gather together in a place like this on a Saturday morning? It's nice outside. The heat, the heat went out. You know, it moved. It's nice. Why in the world would you come in here and listen to some guy that's out of his mind? Me. Okay, I forgot to warn you about that when we started. Okay. I'm out of my mind, and I'm getting into the mind of Christ. Amen? Maybe you just have a kind of a little sneaking intuition that you need to be trained because you are going to rule and reign with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on this earth. That's going to take some training. I wasn't born ready for that. I don't know about you. But as I've come along, I've lived uh, several decades now, and uh, I've, I've come to this conclusion, and I've made a request to the Lord for that great millennial reign of his. I want to be governor of Minnesota. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news, but our state needs help. Our governor has vowed to make it like California. He has said those words, and he's well on the way. But I say, kiss the sun, hallelujah. Is it possible to misunderstand this? Is it possible to have this put in front of you and not get it? Acts chapter 1, please. Jesus comes to the earth, three and a half years of ministry, every kind of sign, every kind of wonder, healings, miracles, teachings, heaven comes to earth in the form of Jesus. And here we are in Acts chapter 1 with his best trained, loyal, dedicated guys. Here they are. And they're going to ask him a question. Right before he ascends back up into heaven, what would you ask Jesus? Here it is, verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We're still waiting, Jesus. All that wonderful stuff, that's all great, but we want the kingdom. Now, there are really three possible answers that can be given to this question, okay? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? These guys have been with him for three and a half years. They saw the demons come out of people. They saw the healings. They saw the sins forgiven. They saw all that. But the first answer is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says, boys, listen. I brought the kingdom. I presented it. The Jews didn't want it. There is no kingdom now. I got it in my pocket here. I'm going to send back up into heaven. Just go on and do the best you can. There's, there's denominations organized around that premise. That's not it. All right. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Here's the second answer. Jesus says, yes, boys, remember those two swords? Go get them. We need and get some more. We're taking over, baby. Caesar better look out. We're coming. <clears throat> Jesus didn't say that either, did he? Jesus said, the mystery of the kingdom. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Hallelujah. Wow. Wow. 
That's the answer. The rain is here, the realm is coming. You are enforcers of the reign of Jesus. Sin has to back up when people repent and call on the name of the Lord. Its shackles and chains are broken in the name of Jesus. That wonderful hymn, Charles Wesley, he breaks the power of canceled sin. Does canceled sin have power? Yes, if you let it. But you can choose the way of Jesus and have the canceled sin's power broken as well as, as, as the initial entry into being forgiven. It's awesome. That's how powerful it is. And healing and miracles and deliverances. So, we'll end with the book of Revelation. And... You might notice I preached from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> and I got done on time. <laughs> Revelation 19. Same one who said, it is not for you to know times or seasons. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, and they certainly did. That one... John the Revelator sees in verse 11 of Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven opened. Everybody scream right out loud, I'm hungry, doctor. Oh Feed me some Greek, doctor. Okay. I saw heaven opened and it stayed open. That's your Greek for this morning, okay. It's a perfect participle. And behold, a white horse. All the other times that haven't opened, it closed back up again. It opened several times in the Old Testament. It opened when Jesus was baptized. There are places where it opened, but it always closed back up. But here, it opens and stays open. Hallelujah. A white horse, and he who sat on him is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Do you love them this morning? Jesus, kiss the sun today, people. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. He's the total package for all of it. Now he's completing it in this wonderful prophetic expression here in Revelation 19. He's coming in the glory and the power of his second coming to rule this earth and reign with a rod of iron. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sword. And this will be just... One final shot at a foundation for our time in August, Eric. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's a huge battle, you know, carnage and bodies and everything run. Oh, and we don't even know who's going to win. No, that's not really how it goes. That sword that comes out of his mouth is his word. And he strikes the nations, and he himself rules them with a rod of iron. It's kind of like Luther wrote in that wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Remember that one? It was a bar tune, the, the, the music of it. Luther said, I think there's some potential here. <laughs> you know? And he took the bar tune and the chord progression, and he wrote the words to one of the greatest hymns the church has ever seen. But I love that verse where the verse about Satan. One little word will fell him. Amen? Amen. That's the truth. And then we go over to chapter 20. Why should you kiss the sun? I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. 
He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up. I hope that means not just sealing that bottomless pit. I hope it's his mouth, too, you know. Because <laughs> the stream of lies that comes out of his mouth is continuous. <clears throat> Shut him up. You never saw that before. It just kind of jumped out at me there. And set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. And in the meantime, you and I are going to be ruling and reigning with a righteous, righteous emperor. A righteous, righteous king. A loving king. How many of you here this morning want to be totally prepared for that? Stand up, please. I want to pray over you. Hallelujah. It's time to kiss the sun. Listen, to, get, to kiss someone, you've got to get really close to them. You got to be really close. We're going to kiss the sun here this morning. Just raise your hands up to heaven. Father, I thank you for this, your precious people. Jesus, the ones that you died for. Jesus, these ones who said, yes, I will follow you. I will love you. Lord, I pray down an anointing upon them to, first of all, understand this mystery of the kingdom that they are living in this wonderful, awesome reign that you've set loose on the earth, Jesus, while we wait in great anticipation for the glory and the power and the splendor of your coming. Jesus, we love you. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Let's say it to him today, could we? Come, Lord Jesus. Come back, Lord Jesus. We need you, Lord Jesus, in this sin-sick world. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Reigning and ruling. In the name of Jesus, I release upon you today the anointing to cast out demons. The anointing to heal the sick. The anointing to see miracles happen in your presence. In the name of Jesus, I loose it by the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus that provides it into your reception of your heart today in his holy name. Give him some praise here today. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed this message from the church conference hosted by Fivefold International. To learn more, you can visit the website at fivefoldinternational.org. Make sure to check out the entire series of teachings from the church conference on the Destiny Church 217 podcast.